G'day all, and welcome back to Glory Days for another of the Aubrey Tiger Tales collection. Today we look at Part B of the Tigers' 1996 Premiership season. In Part A, we looked at the home and away season and Week 1 of the finals, where a disappointing defeat mixed with injuries and suspensions left the defending Premiers on its knees and fighting for survival in a bruising Ovens and Murray Football League season of 1996. So make sure if you haven't had a listen to Part A, do it now before we go ahead with Part B. Because in this episode, we look at the final three matches and the challenges involved. Once again, a huge thanks to the Joss family for making it all possible. The home and away season was really wet. In those days, you played every minute of every quarter. There's no rotations or there's only changes made, injury or something blaring obvious. So whether the season was starting to take its toll or from the big year, the year before being quite emotional and I remember after those two losses mid-year we didn't train we all went into a room and, um, next to the gym and it was a you know a sit down and just a, a talk there was no it was quite calm and it was really collected you know led by sparks and turns and then everyone just went around the room where they were at and what they wanted to do it was like for mine from that meeting you just got okay there's a lot of trust in this room. Everyone trusts everyone. When you're at the door or in the race, you know they're trusting you to do your role, but there's a responsibility on you that they trust you. So you have to deliver and play your role and do your job. And that was, it was just, it wasn't anything major. It wasn't a beat up or anything else like that. But it was just, uh, you sort of walked away from that and you thought, yep. And then moving forwards towards the back end of the season and you'll have plenty on the you know, the final series because it was a heck of a final series. But just from that meeting and the way certain people spoke and what they spoke about in confidence and everything else like that, and it didn't matter if you were the best player or the worst player, you just knew come that end towards that back end and into the finals, yep, we're on. You knew everyone was going to bring their absolute best. So that's, to me, that was quite crucial in the whole year of 96. The defending premiers were licking their wounds following the disastrous week one of finals where injury and suspension had left them vulnerable and written off by the media and the general public. They boasted depth in the club. The seconds were unbeaten and there was talent to call upon. They also had an ace up their sleeve that they were about to deal. They had a plan and when a tiger is cornered, you heard from Dale Carroll, they only know one way to fight, and fight they did. I hope you enjoy the conclusion to Spargo's Soldiers Against All Odds, Part B. As the dust was settling on the qualifying final loss to Wangaratta Rovers, the Tigers were counting their losses ahead of the first semi-final at Birralee Park. Injury toll and suspensions meant Aubrey would delay finalising its team to the very last minute. Already ruled out with injury were captain Brian Kelly, Lee Newton, Darren Howard and suspended pair Michael Buchanan and Jeremy Masterson. The only player considered the chance was Mark Jurey, pending a fitness test on the morning of the match. So coming into the side would be 1985 Premiership Ruckman Peter Brower, big man Corey Whitaker, Glenn Page, Cameron Bakes, Glenn Harrop and one other depending on Mark Jurey's fitness. Across the Murray River, their opponent, Wodonga Raiders, were flying. Coming off its highest score of the season in its elimination final hammering of Myrtleford, they were regaining Jamie McCree, 
and Paul Hodgkin for the Tigers' clash, along with the memories of having beaten Aubrey just two weeks ago. Leading into the game, Myrtleford coach Andrew Dale gave the Tigers no chance in his weekly Border Mail column, writing that there are no more excuses for Aubrey, and one just gets the feeling that Aubrey has dug itself into a hole. Chief football writer at the Border Mail, Simon Dalhunty, wrote, As for Aubrey, you wouldn't want to be on with them with bad money at this stage. Spargo's men gave up without a whimper in the final 20 minutes against Wang Rovers. The Tigers had been cornered. The bear had been poked. Things were about to get interesting. To kick off week two of the 1996 finals, on the Saturday, Lavington won its 17th consecutive match when they thrashed Wangaratta Rovers by 80 points at Bunton Park to qualify for the grand final on its home deck at the Lavington Sports Ground. The weekly catch-up between Aubrey assistant coach Mark Turner and Paul Spargo to review and plan had a lot more intrigue than as usual, as Turner explains. A disastrous day down at Wangaratta against Rovers in the qualifying final. Um, got a bit of a thrashing, a number of injuries and a couple of suspensions. Raiders had beaten Myrtle by about 100-plus oh, points at uh, Martin thought, geez, we've got our backs to the wall here. We'll have to come up with something. Oh, just to get that sort of mojo back, I suppose, that, that was sort of missing in the qualifying final. Yeah, Spargs have been having a bit of a kick before training. Not doing a lot, but I think we met up earlier in the week and we both had him, he obviously has the final say, but we both had him in the forward pocket next to uh, Big Harry. Basically, it went from there. When the board went up before the game, it was closed shop. There was only players and, yeah, just the response from the playing group uh, was just something, you know, you had to experience sort of enthusiasm and, you know, the motivation was there. And from there, I was pretty confident we'd win that day. Yeah, just a bit of cloak and dagger as well. Uh, obviously, Kate would have known, his wife. I think Harry might have known as well, Big Darren Harris. I obviously knew, but I think that might have been it. Yeah, even a couple of the selectors sort of we had to keep in the dark a bit because once you let it out to a few, it gets around Aubrey pretty quickly. So, Mark, you had an inkling pretty sure that would happen sort of midweek. Yeah, Sparks and I used to get together a bit earlier in the week and just talk about the opposition, not so much pick a team, but just talk about the opposition and how we'd approach them and then take that blueprint to selection and see what the other guys had come up with as well and just add all those ideas together because we had a really good selection panel that year. Played so well on the day, he had a serious impact. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the first half. He probably ran out of legs in the second half. He just, oh, well, he set things up in the first quarter. I think we jumped out to a few goals break. Just held on from there, I think. But he might have kicked three or four. And, uh, of course, Big Harry was uh, looking after him. There was a few scuffles. And I think it threw Raiders out a bit. They couldn't <laughs> get the right matchup. Spark sort of ran him around a bit. And, of course, you know, Paul's got such great skills by foot that he probably only needed seven or eight kicks to kick four. And, and that eventuated. It also meant a slight tweak to Turner's off-field role with Spargo back on the field. Yeah, a little bit. Obviously, uh, there was a bit more to do on match day rather than just throwing up ideas to Spargs. When you've got a playing coach, the preparation's done really by match day. Look, we had a really good match committee. So Barry Edmonds was there and a very experienced football person and you know was a great coach of Aubrey Footy Club. Peter Gibbons, who's a bit of an Albury great as well. Tommy McGrath was coaching the second. So really experienced match committee. So if you wanted to throw an idea around during a game uh, or one of the breaks, you know, where Sparks was obviously tied up, you know, it was great feedback and, 
And they're all guys who don't just look at, you know, the contest. They're always thinking ahead. Yeah, we had no shortage of ideas. And we sort of went to a simpler style after the qualifying final. We just went to a bit of a match-up style, man-on-man, which meant really good ball possession players like Stephen Ash and Pagey. Uh, Mikai at times had to go, you know, deep in defence just to play on their matchups, and I think that was successful as well. So that made, to an extent, you know, the things you do off the field a little bit simpler, yeah. Gun midfielder Stephen Ash also made a change in game plan, as he explains. Sparks and Tern had been, had been at me all year just to be a bit more defensive because I'd sort of come from down here and I'd been getting tagged a fair bit. And I'd got up there and sort of got to freewheel a bit. So I was getting plenty of the footy, but so was my man. So sparks and turns have been at me for a while to, yeah, like run both ways. So I think after the first final, sparks might have had enough. And he, yeah, so I got three jobs actually in the three finals to finish with. I was running, I ran with uh, Vinny Glass in the, the first semi, done an okay job on him. And then prelim final day, yeah, I got the job on Toss. Toss was the Italy coach that year. He'd left me out of the second game. So we went through and won the country championships that year. So I played the first one, went all right. And it was about that time, had a bit of an injury, had an ankle. And I was just coming back from that and he decided not to play me. So had a bit of a beef with him. So wasn't too upset when Spargs said I had the job on him. So I know towards the end of the game where we had it sort of won, I let him know that he probably should have played me. But having said that, he's a good, good fella toss, so no, it was, um, yeah, there was a memorable day, that one. The day started well for the Tigers when their depleted second side showed great character and commitment to defeat Wodonga Raiders by 14 points. With the same two sides playing in the senior match, this match, despite being a second semi-final, was moved to the Sunday. Earlier on, the Tiger thirds were eliminated by Wodonga by 23 points. The crowd of over 3,500 spectators was a buzz the moment Aubrey coach Paul Spargo took the field in a long sleeve jumper number 56 after Mark Jaray failed his fitness test on the morning of the match. The scene was set for two hours of final footy at its most passionate best. As Mark Jaray explains, I'd never done a hammy before, but during the game, and it was sort of like a, it must have ended up being a, like a corky that, on, you know, bruised bone on me bum, but it sort of bled down into Hammy. Just as the game went on, got really, really, really tight. But I played the match out that next week. I didn't train and then um, we had a lot out. Sparks said, we'll give you a fitness test sort of basically that morning. And yeah, I was sort of just couldn't stretch out. And he said, oh, no, you're not right. We'll give you the week off. And he goes, I'm going to play. And I said, oh, Sparks, you can't play, mate. Your shoulder's no good and this and that. And he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. I said, oh, no, I'll be right. And he goes, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm playing. He said, just don't tell anyone. He said, bring your bag to the game. Don't tell any of the boys before the game or before the match. Let them all think that you're playing. Got the game, took my bag in, out on the ground, sort of half-time of the sort of twos, and all the players are chatting, we're in the rooms. And it was about three-quarter time. Everyone's getting changed, and I'm sort of still sitting there because I'm like, well, when's he going to read out the team and all that? And... And pretty much all the um, the umpires came in the room, used to come in pre-game, and, and they come up to me and they go, what well, aren't you playing, Mark? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I just like to get dressed last. So I started taking my shirt off, and as soon as they walked out of the rooms, then Spargs said, right, everyone here in the corner, um, here's the team. And he just sort of said, oh, yeah, and he's playing half-forward flank. And didn't say anything, and everyone was sort of looking around, and it was, yeah, it's just one of those, those times it was... We had so many out, and yeah. it was like everyone just, it was, you know, circle the wagons, it's all hands on deck, yeah, and away he played from there. 
played well, sort of, yeah, got in, got inside their heads. We had a heap out, being sort of nervous about that game, thinking, you know, we could be yeah. tipped out here. But, um, you know, all the guys that came up, uh, Lurch and Hazard and Bakesy and Heath Usher and all, all those guys, all, all playing well and, you know, basically, you know, got us over the line. And yeah. uh, from there, I thought, you know, that Rovers wouldn't beat us the next week. And then when we played Labby, I thought we'd be sort of pretty hard to beat in that as well. Spargo, playing his first game in almost five months, defied doctor's orders not to risk further injury by playing. He had an instant impact, kicking the Tigers' second and third goals in the opening quarter, and then kicked his third on the half-time siren that sparked an all-in melee as players, spectators, runners, and officials got involved. The electricity and tension throughout the first half had finally erupted as the Tigers took a 15-point lead into the main break. Raiders' Simon Bone recalls the day. A few things stand in my mind quite clearly. Uh, we basically had a home final. The Tigers had a uh, had a few injuries. The big thing, I guess, was the suspicion and the suspense, the intrigue around Sparks playing. Were you surprised when you saw the number 56 run out on the ground? Uh, not not really. Aubrey Wodonga is not a very big place. You know, you might be able to hide that in Melbourne when you're in country footy. And you, the word just got out that, you know, that was something that we would be prepared for. He was obviously going to give him a bit of a lift of, at the same time, we thought, well, he's obviously a risk as well, having not having played for for, uh, for quite a bit of the year, really. He certainly, uh, he bit us in the backside, probably kicked at least the first goal, maybe the first few, we ended up with three go- three goals and we got beaten by less than that. And and it was on early, they, they were on off the back of uh, a fair bit of his work and they, then they were up and about, so... It was none what Sparks would have been like. It would have been us versus them, had the shits on everybody because it was being played at the Raiders. And Big moment, I guess, so. It was just extraordinary. The halftime blue. What do you remember about that and how did it all start? How did it all finish? I think we were walking back to the huddle and, and Aubrey had jumped us and I was probably cranky that I probably wasn't playing any good and we weren't playing any good as a, as a group. Paul had obviously played quite well in that quarter and Dad was renowned for chatting to the umpires. When the siren had gone, he was walking towards the huddle and given the umpires just a little direction on where he thought that they'd gone wrong during the quarter. And Sparks told him a few colourful words, what he thought, and I took umbrage to it. I said, we're mates, but you, you don't go personal against family, mate. I think I just, oh, I certainly wasn't anything like Dermot Brereton when he ran through their huddle, but I certainly walked into their huddle and told him what I thought. It just sort of blew up. We were probably a bit lucky back in those days where, you know, phones weren't around, so people would have been taking photos everywhere and stuff like that. But um, Ronnie Montgomery, from memory, was would have been the general manager of the O&M, and Dad's also coached him. <laughs> he might have turned a blind eye to a couple of little things that Dad didn't get hit, I didn't get hit. You know, there was a lot of push and shove and stuff like that, rah, rah. And, but, yeah, it, it was probably me instigating it from how we were playing at the time and then Paul sort of rubbing salt into the wounds of Rid having a bit having a go at my dad, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Been overseas with Spargs and stuff like that. I don't know if we've ever spoken about it. And I told him at the time, you know, that, listen, what happens on the field's there, that, that, that stays there, and we had a beer after. Don't go, don't go personally, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from what I gather, the any video footage might have mysteriously missed the scuffle anyway. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Roddy Montgomery might have looked after us in, uh, in regards to that. He, uh, no one, nobody got king hit or anything like that. It, it didn't look good. 
and uh, and you know when you have spectators involved and stuff like that, then then that's that's never good. But it certainly wasn't Dad's intention. He's just followed me because I was went straight to uh, straight to Sparks. He just followed me in making sure that I wasn't going to get bloody in that strike. So <laughs> <laughs> they were too good for us, and you know, so we'll probably be confident and and sat on our backsides at quarter time largely off the back of him, unfortunately. In those days, it, what happened on the field, stayed on the field, maybe because we won well the week, the, the week before and a few blokes out, we probably were a bit confident that and playing at home that things would go our way. But, yeah, that's why he was a – not only was he a bloody good coach, he was a – you don't play 80, 90 AFL games if you're a dud. Yeah. In a rugged and bruising second half, the Tigers, in the face of adversity, took control kicking four goals three to the Raiders two goals five to set up a 27-point lead at three-quarter time as the Tiger army of supporters got loud. Raiders made the perfect start to the final term when Carl Dickens kicked two quick goals, reducing the margin to 15 points. An easy miss by Raiders was made to pay when Matt Fowler gold at the 11-minute mark after being awarded a 50-metre penalty. Fowler had marked 30 metres out when bumped over by Raiders' Heath Mooney Spargo remonstrated with Mooney, who responded by striking Spargo and being reported and set off for 15 minutes. The goal to Fowler made the margin 20 points. The Raiders responded superbly with two quick goals as the margin was cut back to eight points. Aubrey could not put the Raiders away with three straight points before Matt Fowler, playing a sensational second half of football, gathered a loose ball and drilled home the match winner from 20 metres out as the Tigers prevailed by 16 points. Peter Wilson was outstanding in defence, while Andrew Harrison kept Raiders' Stephen Clark to just two goals. Stewie Hodson cut down Raiders star Gav Chesser. Midfielders Trav McLean, Stephen Ash and Timmy Scott were outstanding. It was Matt Fowler with four goals and ten marks who was best to field. Fowler attributed the win to Coach Spargo. Probably Spargs was a catalyst getting us all fired up. Our backs were against the wall, I suppose, and, um, and he came out and I think he might have kicked three or four that game. Was obviously had a had a crook shoulder, got us up, and yeah, we rolled through. No, you know he he was always a coach that would be you know have a bit of a kick, but you know he'd have the trackies on and the boots on. But I think he whether it was a spur of the moment, I've, I've actually never asked him, but you know it was a bit of a shock when you know you get in the rooms and he's he's warming up. It's like oh he's playing. Must have been a massive lift. Oh yeah, obviously he he wasn't probably fit. His shoulder was no good, and probably his whole body, his calves, everything was probably a bit worn out. But for us to go, geez, this bloke's gonna gonna join us you know, on the, the field and, you know, so it probably did lift everyone and um, and obviously the, you know, speaks for itself. The victory was acclaimed by Spargo post-match as the best win he has ever seen, praising the true grit of the players who had been written off. It was with great theatre and enjoyment that Tigers team manager Ross Reed delivered one of his famous post-match change room addresses. As Stewie Hodgson explained, Reed was everything that made the Tiger spirit tick. A little bricklayer. The footy club means the world to him and reciprocated, really. His family, his mum and dad were there when we first started. There was a lot of those hardcore older people and, and he's just grown up in the around the place and he's a unique window into the into the history of the footy club because it's it's long-termers. I mean, they, he would do anything for the joint and, and has done and right down to the point that he's the closest house to the footy club. And he's pretty quick to remind a few about that. That's just him. If he could live there, if that it's his home, it's his other home. That's what he made. I mean, he does everything and anything. He does too much, 
and to his own detriment, oh look, he's yeah, he's just heart and soul. His old man was one of the he's one of the grumpiest old bastards that around the joint. You just have the most fun with those blokes. The meanest property steward of all time, his old man was. Reedy's not quite as mean. Yeah, look, they just, he's just a heart and soul person. He he loves the joint. There was one highlight. No one went home or did next thing until they went. Tried to get into the rooms and hear Reedy post match. <laughs> he, that was his soapbox. That was when he could stand up on the seats and read out the goal kickers. That's what uh, and uh, and have his little his little moment. That was his thing. That was his outlet for the week, and that that was the highlight of a lot of people's weeks, not just his. If you put it in terms of today, there's lots of things that were said that were politically incorrect. Yeah, the, there was no social media then, thank God. So with the reserves through to the grand final and the seniors stirring win, the mood had changed at the sports ground, as Dale Carroll reflected. It shifted. Momentum shifted dramatically from any sort of questions or doubts or anything like that. It just swung full circle. Yep, we're on. You know, like it. And back to what I was saying before from when, it, when we had that meeting, we had guys that come in, but they just played their role, and, but you had trust in them. The vibe and the, just at training, it was up and about. It was, yeah, it was good. You sort of just had this real sense, yeah, this is going to be special. Let's be a part of this. It doesn't matter who or how. It was just like, yeah, we're, there's something, something's going to unfold here. You sort of went from, yeah, maybe, to, nah, we're going to. Yeah, it, it just flipped like that. It was, yeah, it was amazing. You talk about mid-year when we lost those two games and we were in positions that we should have won it to have, like we had the, had the chat or whatever else like that. With that momentum, it, it swung tenfold. Like when we were in a position, like it didn't matter how close or tight, you just knew, right, we're, we're going to get there. Just keep ticking along. Keep, keep doing what we're doing. We're going to get there. The next assignment was the rejuvenated Tigers making a trip back to Wangaratta to take on the Rovers at the showgrounds. The Hawks were reeling from the 80-point hiding Lavington had given them in the second semi-final. Leading into the preliminary final, the Owens Murray Football League were seeking video footage of the half-time brawl at Birralee Park. A video was provided by a Wodonga Raiders employee and it showed no footage of the brawl. The video showed Paul Spargo kicking a goal on the half-time siren and then a group of players jostling in the forward pocket. Officials suggested that the footage of the brawl may have been missed due to the camera operator breaking for his half-time afternoon cup of tea. Selection of the final team would again be left to match day, with several players still under an injury cloud. One thing was assured, the suspended pair of Michael Buchanan and Jeremy Masterson would return, along with captain Brian Kelly. As it was, all three players under injury cloud, Mark Jaray, Lee Newton and Darren Howard, all failed fitness tests. The unlucky three to make way for the inclusions were Glenn Harrop, Mick Brunner and Cameron Bakes. Paul Spargo, after struggling with soreness early in the week, recovered to take his place in the side. The match against Rovers was the second final in 15 days for Anthony Fobister against his former club. Fobister, a unique and talented footballer, and much loved by his teammates, spoke about his relationship with Spargo and his general outlook on football. Sparks was uh, really, really good to me. Sometimes he gave me what I needed. I was a bit conflicted in that I, I had a, I had a sense of duty that, that I had to do what was right and the right thing. But uh, I was also, yeah, probably 
pretty relaxed and and lazy. So uh, uh, when the opportunity came not to do anything, I, I might take that. So uh, Spags left me alone uh, a fair bit. It expected that you know when when it was on, I think that that I would um, I'd stand up and do what was required. Really, I was probably I was probably pretty hard to teach or, or, or tell anything to because yeah, I've always sort of since since a kid uh, wondered what the natural thing to be doing today would be and uh but nevertheless uh, i still do what the rest of us do which is uh turn up to work each day friday night would you think about who you were playing on or the opposition too much or what i wouldn't that hard work concentrated work uh that a lot of players do or coaches do i, I wouldn't ever do that for myself uh a friday night back in my early days probably sneak around with uh Paul Hogan and, and a couple of mates from Greta and have a few beers, try and remain hidden from the watchful eye. He had to do a bit of a carbo build. I didn't have good enough concentration, actually, to, to be worried about what was going to happen the next day. And um, all you could do is like, get there and put in maximum efforts. Did you suffer from nerves at all? or I did for sure. Uh, all that dreaminess or aspiration affect me every now and then. Yeah, dreaming of, of what would happen or aspiring to uh, yeah, being the best. Or And uh, I sort of regarded... That is a mistake. Wasn't sure what else to do. Yeah, superstitious, you know, like everything to go right. You know, put the radio on if I only played shit songs on the way to the ground. I might think, oh, this is not looking good. And then I started it for whatever reason, just sort of realised the bigger picture of the world that you know, there was seven billion people on the planet or or, or whatever, and uh, some of those guys dying of starvation, and some would be getting shot at, and some be in a war, and and here I was getting to go out and uh, play games with my mates. And I thought, oh, like, how wonderful is that? I'd shake my head around a bit, put a big smile on my face and and run out. And when I when I did that, I knew I was going to have a good day. Now, listen, you said about putting the radio on in the car on the way to the ground, but it wasn't always your preferred mode of transport. Tell us a bit about the, the other mode of transport that was quite legendary, the skateboard. So I was living with uh, Lou, my wife, and we were partners at the time up in Albury. I was always riding into my skateboarding. Uh, she was living up, up on uh, Monument Hill somewhere and... Yeah, I used to enjoy riding the skateboard down to uh, down to Forty. We were, <laughs> so getting to park and yeah, you, know, you couldn't get done. Do you are? What was your best skateboarding adventure? Would wouldn't be responsible for me to to mention some of my best ones. Preliminary final day started well for the Tigers with Paul Spargo slotting an early goal in the third minute in a bruising opening fifteen minutes that turned sour for Aubrey when on baller Travis McLean was reported and sent from the field for fifteen minutes. The striking Rovers, Peter Tossel. The Hawks pounced with Andrew Wilson kicking three late goals to give the Rovers a 16-point lead at quarter time. Aubrey were able to regain some ascendancy in the second term with McLean's return to the playing field, sparking the five-goal-to-three-quarter that left the Rovers leading by three points at half-time. The third quarter was breathtakingly good from the Tigers, starting with a Paul Spargo goal then a magical snap goal from Tim Scott for the Tigers to lead by nine points. Rovers responded, slamming on three unanswered goals to regain the lead by 11 points. Then the game turned in dramatic fashion, with Matt Fowler snapping a left foot gem to reduce the margin to five points. After a further two behinds, Aubrey cut loose with six goals in the next 10 minutes to take a 34-point lead into the final term. Fowler, who was best on ground, booted three for the quarter, while Stephen Ash and Darren Harris kicked two apiece. An early goal to Harris sealed the Tigers' victory, with the big forward finishing with four, while Fowler, Spargo and Scott all kicked three. 
Travis McLean finished with 29 possessions, Page 28 and Ash 28. Defenders Jeff Duck and Andrew Harrison were outstanding as the Tiger Army swarmed the change rooms post-match after the 31-point win. For Harrison, it was a second week in a row he delivered on shutting down a key opposition player, Steve Clark Raiders and Robbie Walker. He used to always sort of get Clarky. I know I played on him in the grand final in 97 as well. He was a good player, Whitey, but yeah, but I was just lucky. Great team of on-ballers down the ground that probably just limited the supply. But yeah, Whitey was always a, a good grab and uh, you know liked to get on the lead, get up the ground a little bit. But how special that game was uh, with Spargs. You know, coming out of nowhere to pull the boots on again. Had a pretty good game on Clarkie. He was a you know their key forward, and yeah, um, Sparg sort of just trusted me to take him on and, and beat him. So yeah, it was a pretty good day. Must have been a pretty electric atmosphere in the game. You know, the build up. It sort of required a special effort from the club as a whole. Well, it was, mate. After losing that first final against um, Wang Rovers down at Wang, to then sort of go into that you know do or die against Raiders on their home ground. You know, with, with heaps of players out, and I think there was suspensions to Mick Iron Jezza, and certainly weren't at full strength. And, yeah, before the game, I just remember that. Not knowing Spargs was uh, going to play, to literally as we're walking out of the ground, he, he sort of revealed himself, you know, tore off his clothes, and there he was. He was playing. And I think I think he kicked a couple of goals in the first quarter. Or we're away, and then there was a big brawl with um, you know, spectators, and I think and Mickey Bohm was involved because Sparks was trying to build up Simon. And Yeah, it was but it was the most bizarre, bizarre game then to, um, because I think we got the jump on them, and, and then to win that, but then that, to have to go back down to Wayne to play Rovers. Certainly that year stands out for me with the three I played in that, you know, we're up, up against it. We certainly had a setbacks throughout the year and, and challenges. Well, you mentioned had to go back down to Rovers, and that was another big job for you. You had to keep an eye on Robbie Walker. Always actually matched up reasonably well, well on Rob. Again, good, you know, certainly helped with uh, the supply not coming in as, as well at the ground. But, you know, so I used to set myself, uh, knowing a few weeks out that I'd probably play on him. And I didn't play on him in the first final because I think he, he played in the ruck. One of the Rovers ruck, when Yellen went down, that second final, he went back to centre-half board. I obviously picked him up and was, um, you know, I guess, had his measure. And then uh, he would go... He would, when he was struggling, go on to the on ball, go back to a ruck rover role. And, you know, I, I didn't play on him the, the whole game. He, he'd sort of work, you know, he was trying to get a kick basically, and he was super fit. So that was uh, Rob's advantage. And then I'd just sort of pick him up as he as he came in the forward line, uh, forward line from my recollection, run with roll. Yeah, so in a funny way, him actually leaving you for a while to go and have a run on the ball, it gave you a chance to get your, gather your forwards, get your concentration back, and then set yourself for the next time you come back. Yeah, I think so. And to be honest, he, he was always obviously a lot, probably a lot fitter than I was. So for him to go up the ground and you know bust himself, and uh, and you only have to pick him up when he came back in the forward line. The game was probably a, probably a relief. He had a good game against Rob, and always had a, a pretty good record against him, which is something I you know you look back now as uh, he, he was a fairly good player or a champion, Zamari. So to, to have a good record on him is uh, it's quite pleasing to look back on now. With no injuries coming out of the game, the only concern was the report of star on baller. Travis McLean, who recalls the incident. Yeah, Peter Tossel was um, O&M rep coach for that year and uh, I got to know Peter Tossel really well. Unfortunately, we came up against each other in the prelim final at uh, Angarada. All I can remember that uh, of the incident is um, the ball just flicked over my head and uh, I just saw red and I was going to run straight through him. And um, Unfortunately, yeah, we collided and apparently my, um, my elbow hit him just under the, I think, the left eye. Apparently looked quite nasty, and uh, yeah, I got sent off for um, 15 minutes. And oh, yeah, when you 
playing against uh, some a quality team like Wangaratta Rovers. That was a benchmark before we um, took their mantle in oh, 1995. You know, we didn't want to lose to them again. So um, everyone was just super pumped up and ready to go. And uh, playing against uh, Tossel and uh, most of those uh, you know, superstars, you know, you don't take a backward step. What was the feedback from Spargs at the time when you had to do 15 minutes on the pine? Oh, he just said to cool down. It's all good. He said, um, unfortunately, you know, you ran in a straight line and collected him. And uh, I asked the guys in the bench, I said, was it bad? They said, shit, Trav. Um, yeah, it didn't look too too good. So um, I thought for the rest of the game, I just had to um, put the head down and just go hell for leather and um, had got the win. So it was a chance uh, if things went my way through the, through the week for the grand final. After the game, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, Peter Tossel wants to come and congratulate you on the game. So I just went out and seen him. And as I walked up, I could see the mouse underneath his eye. And I was thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm really gone here. But The Monday evening was another wonderful night for the Tigers with 20-year-old Ruckman, Lee Newton, a runaway winner of the Evanson Murray Football League's Morris Medal, winning by eight votes from his nearest rival. Newton held five best on grounds to become the fourth Aubrey player in a row to win the Morris Medal. He also became the 10th Aubrey player to win the medal. Stephen Ash finished equal third on 14 votes, while Aubrey took out the club championship. The good start to grand final week continued for Aubrey on Wednesday evening when Travis McLean, after a nervous few days, was cleared at the tribunal and free to play in the grand final against his old side, Lavington, as McLean recalls. Toss and I have a good relationship, playing the rep sides, travelling around together as well, so he just said, do everything uh, possible to help you as well. Apologise to him. No, mate, it's in the game. Don't worry about that, mate. We're running straight for each other. So that uh, that was the start of it. And then um, sweating for about four days, knowing that um, different meetings with um, our, uh, our club officials and stuff like that, trying to work on a good strategy going forward. And yeah, it was really kind of bizarre. That was my first time at the tribunals. But Merv King was fantastic. Um, I think there was a few things behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of with uh, Merv King and uh, the guys talking to Tossel through the week as well. I think Tossel was, you know, he was going to look after me and stuff like that. And um, when they read out the charge, they said that uh, I had the ball running away from Tossel and I reached back and elbowed him from behind. I was in front, elbowed him from behind, and that's how I collected him. And then Tossel went through the same kind of kind of situation as well. So and the truth was it, Tossel had the ball. The ball flew over my head. He had the ball. He kind of fumbled a bit, and that's when I knew I was um, going to straight line him. Yeah, I ran straight through him. That was the, that was the start of the conflicting kind of uh, evidence that um, I kind of knew. I thought, gee, this is um, – I just sat there and let, uh, let the guys um, speak about what happened as well. So as, as you know, you deliberate, go out, you come back in. So while they had to go out, everyone was quite quiet. I went back in. They told my story as well. Yeah, I got off because of the conflicting evidence of uh, Tussle thought I had the ball and I thought Tussle had the ball as well. So in the end, um, we all knew what happened as well. But I think Tussle was trying to look after me and making sure I, I had uh, every opportunity to play against the old foe, Will Lovington. And uh, it worked out in my favour. The news just got better for the Tigers with both Mark Jure and Lee Newton declared certain starters after missing the two previous finals. The unlucky players to miss out were 34-year-old veteran Peter Brower and 17-year-old forward Heath Usher, who would both have some consolation in the reserves grand final to play in, along with Darren Howard, who also recovered from his hamstring injury. Lavington were going into the grand final unbeaten in its last 17 matches, with its most recent outing being an 80-point win in the second semi-final. Its last premiership success was in 1986, but had lost its last three grand finals, 1987, 1988 
and 1990. The Blues star forward Chris Stuldreyer was also close to breaking the league goal-kicking record held since 1938 by Aubrey's Doug Strang. Stuldreyer was going into the game with 122 season goals, just four short of Strang's record of 126. Aubrey, three weeks ago, were given no hope of defending its title after a final round loss to an undermanned Raiders then the shattering loss to Rovers in the first final. Since that day, the Tigers had played with their backs against the wall, against the odds, and in the face of adversity, a yellow and black monster had been created. One with an almighty sting and a mental belief that the world was out to get it. The Tigers were out to get the world and anyone in their path. On a perfect spring day at the Lavington Sports Ground, over 12,000 spectators were on hand to watch the Tigers make a great start to the day when the Aubrey Seconds completed an unbeaten season, winning its 20th straight match to clinch the Premiership over Wodonga Raiders 14-11-95 to 9 goals 10-64. The senior game was broadcast live on community station 2REM 107.3 by commentators Gavin Dayton and Ron Montgomery. Part of the coverage was taking the Melbourne races during the afternoon, giving the punters the best of both worlds. Aubrey made the early running in the seniors, and it wasn't long before Michael Buchanan and Matt Fowler converted the early dominance with goals. Bounce of the ball for the start of the 1996 Ovens and Murray League Grand Final. It's come out here to uh, Aubrey and that player was uh, Buchanan. Buchanan down towards the forward line. Here's a chance for the Aubrey Tigers. Spargo couldn't pick up the ball but it'll be cleared away uh, by the Lavington player in defence but here's a chance now for Aubrey but a free kick has been paid and who gets it? Would you believe Paul Spargo in the opening minutes. He's picked up the free kick and, and he's a player that has sparked Aubrey in all the final series with goals in the opening two terms of quarters. Finds a loose man in Travis McLean who McLean backs him pace against McMillan has two bounces goes right out wide to the other side of the ground where he has Stewie Hodson on the run Hodson picks up he gets a short kick into the Morris medalist Lee Newton 20 yards clear Newton goes banging into the half forward line tap back in by Aubrey to Michael Buchanan who has a snaffle at goal to the goals could be a goal I think Ronald it's a goal yes a goal to Michael Buchanan okay so that was the opening goal to the Aubrey side there one goal two eight to Lavington one point that's gone down to Aubrey's uh, forward line again and a big strong mark has been taken here about 45 metres out for the Aubrey Tigers so I think it's Fowler and it's Fowler, Matty Fowler who's played a superb uh, final series for the Aubrey Tigers and got a chance to put their second goal on the board here have only played five minutes in the opening term the Aubrey Tigers starting well here's Fowler lining up the goal it looks good to me it's straight through the centre and another goal to the Aubrey Tigers they certainly have started well Ron Zavington hit back with the next two goals before the brilliance of Jason Hallandale put Aubrey in control at quarter time to lead by 16 points. Fist by Newton going down towards the uh, centre wing, picked up this time by the Lavington player and McGibbon. McGibbon's handball went nowhere, but here's a chance for Dean Knight to pick up the ball. Couldn't get the run of the ball. Here's a chance for Brian Hallandale. His shot for goal looks very good. A terrific goal by Hallandale. A dangerous player for the Aubrey side. Ran into open goal and, and another major on the board to them. So terrific effort by uh, Aubrey, but a bit of a fumble there by the Lavington player. Yes, and very costly. Hallandale certainly made them pay for that by finishing off very well with the goal. 
see uh, Aubrey going on now to three goals two, and that's a total of 20. Lavington, two goals, one, 13. Graham Hart's kick uh, down towards the centre of the ground. It wasn't a good kick, and uh, that player, Ash, was able to come in and take the marker in the centre of the ground. Come across here to uh, Glenn Page. Let's have a look. Running into open goal. Let's have a look. It looks pretty good to me. We'll just wait and see and pick up that player. It's another goal to Aubrey. Hallandale, was it? Hallandale. Got the handball across, I think, from Glenn Page, and Hallandale running into open goal has put it through for four points. So that was terrific play. The Tigers, four goals, five, 29 to Lavington, 2-2, 14. Again, it was Aubrey starting best in the second quarter with goals to Lee Newton and Michael Buchanan that extended the Tigers' lead to 30 points. Lee Newton has Could taken a very good here. grab. Could, Could get 50 and, and a little bit of indiscretion here. McMahon, a very silly mistake. Very costly there. Uh, Lee Newton had the mark, upended him, and Lee will walk down the... In error, he's not even bothering arguing now, so uh, Lee Newton now comes down and will shoot from about six metres. Even you could kick this wrong. Oh, I think I'd be almost a certainty. I'd like to live for it. Lee Newton now directly in front, walks in from six metres, and good night, a good goal. So very costly, McMahon being told, Spargo's just giving him an earful, and a couple others, Aubrey players, are now telling him how, what his indiscretion cost them. They could have done without that. OK, so Aubrey go on to 5-8-38 and Lavington a 2-4-16. At the Barrier Melbourne, let's have a quick update there now. A number six storm is the favourite way at the moment, Rolly. 4-80 and 2-10 and a lot of late money for number four, Itrium, which is firm to 5-20 and 2-10. Number five, one that you'd like, Rolly. A little bit of peep on the sly, 4-even and 2-60. Back to Lavington. OK, here's Aubrey going forward again. It's 12 minutes into the second term. And here's a chance. Good handball by the uh, Aubrey player. And shooting to goal. Let's have a look at his shot. Straight through. A beautiful goal this time by Michael Buchanan for the Aubrey team. It was good play. Harris charged at the football then. Knocked it over to Hallandale, who put it back into Buchanan's advantage. Away we went with a goal. And, uh, gee, they're looking awesome at the moment. First use of the ball most of the day at the, to this stage. Lavington hit back almost immediately. And while the boys were off to the races, they kicked two crucial goals to get back in contention, which was followed by another two to reduce the margin to just four points as Peep on the Sly greeted the judge in Melbourne. Two, two very good goals, Ron, by the Lavington Certainly. side. Certainly, Kerry Barr kicking one on the run and then Brett Wilson marking the uh, kick forward and kicking from about 40, 35 metres out. Lavington starting to work back into the match. Timmy Sanson does the ruck work, comes down. Chris Whelan now on the ground, handball's out. Over to Kerry Barr. Kerry Barr on the left foot, centres the ball, looking for Stilldryer. And Stilldryer has grabbed the mark from behind. A tremendous effort there. Just absolute strength. The uh, Harrison was pushing back on him. Stilldryer stands his ground as Mark 20 metres out. Stilldryer moves in. Straight through for Christopher. Goal number two for Stilldryer. Yeah, momentum, sir, with Lavington at the moment. And uh, we've played about 20 minutes into the second term and the scoreboard reads. Aubrey, six goals, 8-44. Lavington, 5-4-34. Right, OK, we're back into play here and it's on the centre wing. It's a 10-point uh, game with uh, Aubrey 10 points in front here. Fowler back uh, to uh, number 20 for Aubrey. There's a mess up here by the Aubrey player and uh, McLean. It's picked up by Lavington. Good play by Lavington in defence. Hollard uh, will get a kick across to the centre wing and it'll be marked this time by Sean Miles for Lavington. Miles looking for a lead up forward here. Uh, Sanson gives him a lead at centre-half forward, but he goes for the big one. Let's have a look at the big players fly. Nobody can take the mark. The ball bounces to the ground. Here's a chance for number 27 for Lavington running into open goal. Gary Learmont for another one to the Blues. Are they back in town? I tell you what, they've kicked about four goals in the last ten minutes, Lavington. And at one stage, they're looking down the barrel, but uh, they're coming good now. And as we said, Lavington's side. So there's only four points in this game now. Aubrey, six goals, 8.44 to Lavington, six goals, 4.40.
Vic, now, Vic Tides for Caulfield. Number five, Peep on the Sly. Rolly, that's you, isn't it? Peep on the Sly. $8.20 for the win, $2.90 the place. Second, number three, Santico, returned three seventy, And at number 11, Prince Caleb, $3.50. The Quinella, $57.30. The Exacta, $93.80. Trifecta, $1,157.50. And the running double, $36.90, as we have a peep at the footy. The Blues late surge had reduced the margin at half-time to just four points in a brilliant spectacle for the huge crowd lapping up the spring sunshine and the sensational football. It's been dubbed the Premiership Quarter, and that's pretty much how the third quarter panned out with Aubrey booting the first three goals. First, it was Paul Hallandale, then coach Paul Spargo stepped up with a brilliant individual goal and then set up big Darren Harris for another. Quick hand, Hallandale's got the ball on the run, he runs to 30 metres and pops it through. Very, very quick hands by Michael Buchanan again. That's the third one he set up with brilliant handball today. But a terrific running goal by Hallandale, the one that Aubrey wanted. There's been a lot of pressure, 15 minutes, and that's the first goal first in this goal. third term. So the scoreboard reads, Aubrey 7 goals 11, Lavington a 6 goals 8. So it's been picked up by Buchanan, his handball's gone astray, it'll oh, be wow. marked here by McLean for the Aubrey side. Travis McLean now, what will he do? Goes out right across the centre wing here. In this case it's Paul Spargo. Spargo, a nice kick down towards the centre wing again. And it's Hallandale. Short passes of the order of the day. Back to Spargo. Spargo goes the big bomb down towards the forward line. There's nobody there. Will the run of the ball go for him? Yes, it will. A great goal by Paul Spargo. That's a captain's goal if you've ever seen one. Yes, he certainly did, but just showed what a class act he is, Spargo. Finishing off from about 50 metres on the run. Popped her through. She bounced once. Bounced truly and through it went to open up a, a little gap that would be worried to Brucey Stewart at the moment, I would suggest. 15 points, but there's nothing in it nothing still. Nothing in it, no. I got dry uh, conditions, so, you know, 15 points, not a lot. But a handy effort by the Aubrey side now. They're 8 goals, 11, 59, to Lavington, 6, 8, 44. And a protest, Caulfield, hold all tickets. So a protest there at uh, Melbourne, and we'll have the outcome of that when it's available. Masterton over the top and takes a grab for Aubrey. Quick hands on to Duray. Uh, Duray goes short to the running Spargo. Spargo hotly pursued by Furness, but he dummies around, comes back goes with the left foot looking for Harris he's put it up high, Harris has got McMaster out of position and marked some 20 metres out on a bit of an angle again Spargo moving the ball quick hands, desperation Learmonth under pressure when he kicked and Aubrey made advantage of that poor kick, this one a good player under pressure Darren Harris, he moves in slowly now from 20 metres Pops her up and the umpires moved across to the centre of the goals and said, all clear. So the scoreboard here at the 22 minute mark sees Aubrey, 9 goals 11, 65 Lavington, a 6-8-44. Lavington Ruckman, Brett Wilson, gold to get the margin back to 15 points before a courageous mark and goal from Matty Fowler and another to Darren Harris just before three quarter time rubber stamped a brilliant Aubrey quarter. Newton against Miles. Newton gets this one. Dale Carroll gives it, feeds the handball to Hallandale. Hallandale to the running Buchanan. Kicks on his right foot looking for Big Harry. Bobbing in the way is Matthew Fowler. Fowler. Matty Fowler's marked about 20 metres out on a bit of an angle. Probably just a, little, a better angle than uh, Darren Harris kicked that last one. If Harry can kick him from there, you reckon Matty Fowler would put this away. And again, Fowler has been a key player in the Aubrey forward thrust. Be a very important goal here, going to the break, 21 points up. In he comes, Matthew Fowler goes, 
We'll wait on the goal umpire, and he has said yes. Four you points. can have a goal. 21 yeah. point lead to the Albury side, and it's back into the centre of the ground, and here's a chance for Albury. Sitton Masterton gets his kick. It's Fowler trying to pick up the run of the ball, but he's been caught very, very strongly indeed. That was number 14, Hodson, and here's a chance for Albury. Hallandale playing a terrific game for Albury. Down to forward line. Here's Big Harry. Big Harry takes another terrific mark. That was great running play by Hallandale. He's been a big lynch player for them today. He certainly has, Gavin. He's, he's been a key on the wing just running and running he hasn't stopped and he's a classy user of the football he gets the ball when they count his possessions okay so here's another big chance for Aubrey 21 points in front at the moment coming up to the uh, three-quarter time break here's the big fella shooting for goal let's have a look it's full points again to the Aubrey Tigers big Harry slots one through and away we go another goal to the Aubrey side and they're looking good at this stage but the same thing happened in the first term Ronnie and uh, then in there's the second quarter Lavington came good but certainly you'd like to be going to three quarter time with a 27 point break I was saying 21 a minute ago yes. they've, they've built on that and uh, it's a nice little confident well, position. How much was the lead in that home and away game at 28, three quarter time? Oh, 28 points at the 12 minute mark of the last quarter so it's far from over. And that home and away game Lavington got up and won by a point so it's still a long way to go in this game. So Aubrey took a 27 point lead into the final term with memories of the stunning Lavington comeback in round 12 at the same venue. Things became a bit twitchy when the Blues kicked three goals in the first 10 minutes. So we've got a 27-point leader at three-quarter time for the Aubrey side, but Lavington are first into attack. The big kick down towards centre-half forward, trying to take the strong mark there for Lavington was Miles can't do. So here's a chance and a chance for the full forward for Lavington, and he's put it straight through. Chris uh, Stilldreyer, we're just talking about him. He's had a pretty quiet day, but he, he was able to come across for the handball, get it, and put it straight through. So in the first seconds of this final quarter, just the one the Blues wanted, and I tell you what, that might spark them up. Sanson again butters up, pushes it forward, picks up on a handball to Learmonth. Learmonth can work here. Again, Learmonth battles through, left foot, kicks a sensational goal. Gary Learmonth tripped, stumbled, fell over, and still... Managed to get the ball in the forward pocket, off the left boot and pop it through. OK, we'll have a look at the scoreboard. Five minutes into the final turn. The first two goals in this last quarter of the Lavington Blues putting back the pressure onto Albury. So it's Albury 11-12-78, Lavington 9-8-62. The big full forward has taken a mark and a very, very good moving attack here by the Lavington side. So it's Chris Stildreyer. Go. Equals the Evans a Murray goal-kicking record if he kicks this too, uh, Gavin. All right, so here he is. He's about 50 out dead in front. Never looked like missing straight through the middle. So Lavington are right back in this game. Score now reads Aubrey 11 goals 13 to Lavington 10 goals 8. So we see there a lead of 11 points now. It was 27 about five minutes ago, and now it's back to 11 points. Tiger defender Andrew Harrison had the job on stool dryer. I must have been bloody stupid. I was only probably 21 years of age and I don't know how old he would have been probably 30 or big guy and yeah he was a copper and he's a bit scary mate to be honest but anyway I went to Spokes so I think it was after Tuesday's training on grand final where I want to take stool dryer and yeah Spokes said oh no I'll, I'll have a think about it and then he announced think Thursday or Saturday morning whatever it was to say mate you've got him and I think oh Holy crap! This this could be uh, this could be an absolute disaster. So I, I remember before the first bounce, he just he turned around. He just wanted to punch on with me, and I'm like, shit, this isn't good. This is not looking good. You know, didn't eventuate to throw him punches, but there was a lot of push and shove, and I thought, God, this is going to be a day and a half. And I reckon he kicked a goal on me in the first. He kicked a goal on me. I reckon it was in the first five minutes, and I just remember thinking, bloody hell, you know, Dougie String records on the line here as, a, as, an, as an Aubrey legend and uh, I think if he kicked four he equaled kick five he breaks the record I think I'd kept him to 
two goals up to three-quarter time. And right on the three-quarter siren, I went up and um, got quite high and uh, spoiled the ball and came down and just, just rolled the ankle. And I managed to sort of shuffle to the three-quarter time huddle. Uh, Dr. John McDonald was uh, famous for jabs. I remember I had two fractured thumbs in that, that those last few games, getting jabbed in both thumbs before the games. I don't know, everyone was getting jabs for, for injuries. We were pretty, pretty battered. I remember Sparks were just looking at me, you're right, you're right. And I'm like, oh, I'm no good. So, yeah, Dr. John just jabbed the hell out of my ankle, re-strapped out I went. So I think, I think he got a couple of balls on me in that last quarter and thankfully he did, you know, he equaled the record, but he didn't break the record. Yeah, it was a really good day, a special one again to, to, to beat Lavi on their, their home turf as well, mate, was, um, was enormous. With Lavington storming back into contention, it was coach Paul Spargo that got the Tigers the steady in goal. That's right in the, uh, the scoring zone for Aubrey, and there's the bounce of the ball now. Ronnie, 11 points. Yes, he's uh, oh, wide open. Robbie Matthews throws it down on the turf again. Wilson takes on Newton, and Newton gets first hand of the ball this time. Shot and said, good night. A goal to Aubrey. Spargo, the coach. A good effort by Paul Spargo then. Gee, a pressure goal. Paul Spargo was the player that put through the big bomb there. A six-pointer, a fantastic effort by their coach. So at the moment, the scoreboard reads at the 14-minute mark of the last quarter. Aubrey 12-13-85 to Lavington 10-8-68. Over the next 10 minutes, both sides had their chances, but kicked three behinds each as the ball pinged from one end to the other. As the time clock entered time on, it was a brilliant read of the ball off the back of the pack by Stuart Hodson that sealed back-to-back premierships for Spargo's soldiers. So the bounce of the ball now. So 10 goals, 11, 71, Lavington, 12, 16, 88. Looks like uh, the reserves and the seniors. Premierships to the Aubrey side. There'll be a light down there at the Aubrey sports uh, ground tonight if they can hang on here. Here's big uh, little Scotty down towards the full forward line. Big pack of players. Here's a chance. Hodson running into open goal and bangs it through. It's all over. The Aubrey side, they must win this game now with only a few minutes left in the game. But Hodson ran into open goal, put through the six-pointer and back-to-back premierships are looking pretty good here at the Lavington Sports Oval for the Aubrey side. The score is Aubrey 13-16, Lavington 10-11. Moments later, the siren sounded as the Tiger Army flooded the Lavington Sports Ground ahead of a raucous presentation that announced Stephen Ash as the best on ground, while retiring legend Jeff Duck, Big Darren Harris and Paul Spargo were singled out by the crowd as the party begun to celebrate one of the great Tiger Premiership triumphs.
mate, Monday was a tough one for a wounded Andrew Harrison. That night, obviously, one big night, and I was in you know, no good with my ankle, couldn't couldn't walk. It blew up like a, an absolute balloon. It was purple, blue. So I ended up... Um, was on crutches the next day to go to the Mad... It must have been Mad Monday because we played on a Sunday. And we're at the uh, Mershall Hotel. I, I literally just walked in there. The boys had already on the booze and had much sleep that night, but I'd got my crutches and Jeremy Marston just walked up straight to me. And, you know, I think he, I think he mumbled or something like that. You're weak or something like that. Grabbed my crutch, bent it over a stool and just snapped it. So I reckon for the, the next few days, uh, we're on the, I'm literally walking with one crutch to get around. <laughs> it cost me a few bob, obviously, to replace it. But that was Jeremy for you. He just said, nah, that's weak as piss. Harry, you need to, um, yeah, I'm going to fix you over this, make it a bit tougher for you. But uh, so I tore uh, ankle ligaments and I ended up on crutches for about 10 or 12 weeks and um, I was no good. So uh, They weren't great rehab to be around those boys, were they, for two or three days after a grand final? No, they weren't happy. It was uh, it was all focused on the the fun and uh, festivities. Uh, I remember I was I think it was two A one B one A four point nine at that stage, yep. and it was, it was almost ring your boss and go, "Oh mate, can I have another day? Can I have another day?" It's still it's still rolling along, um, particularly that one. Um, you know, I think it was Stephen Ash's first year, and with some challenges to get the chocolates was uh, enormous. The nineteen ninety six grand final was Tiger legend Jeff Duck's two hundred and twenty second final game for his beloved Tigers. He knew Paul Spargo better than most and paid tribute to him and his own grand final reflections. We never really had our a settled team right through that final series. I think going to the grand final, um, obviously, I think if you're nervous, you care. So, you know, we're, we're nervous as a group. Sparks had this ability to, he really got us back now as the group that we should have been right through the final series. You know, everyone was back back on deck and I think our game down at Wangaratta, getting guys back, we started to gel and there was just this little bit of belief in us that, you know, yes, we're going against Lavi today. Yes, they're red hot favourites, but uh, geez, they'd want to be on their game and look out because here we come. So there was that really nervous energy about us, but a real big belief that we yeah. could do it. And on the day, yeah, it all, all come together and, yeah, we got up. Uh, post-game, post-game's always a great celebration. When did I really realise and know that, feel that it was all over? It was probably in the last 10 minutes of the grand final, standing down in the back pocket. I'd played a lot of junior football under 13s with Brett Wilson. The play was up in our attacking end a fair bit for the last 10 minutes and Willow and I started to have a bit of a chat and he sort of said, you got me today, Duck. And we sort of half reflected on the time that we'd been playing against yep. one another for a long period of time and um, the siren went and, yeah, that was sort of, it just sort of, yeah, well, yeah. I've had my time. This is what better way to finish. So, yeah, it was then that I really, really, really knew. Happy oh, it was a great occasion. We Celebrations were great. We got back to back. What better way to finish uh, yeah. with two flags? It had been a long dry spell too between 85 and 95. That's and the thing, isn't it? Ten tough years there, eh? a decade. And I was fortunate to play in 85 and I was the only one then left to play in 95 and yeah, at the back end of my career then to get uh, back-to-back flags was just the icing on the cake, really. Couldn't ask for much more. As far as Spargs goes, we all know he played his junior footy at Albury. He missed out on the 83 grand final under Tommy Doolan and then went away and had a great AFL career at North and Brisbane. How fortunate were the Albury Football Club and how fortunate were we as a playing group to get Paul back? When he walked back in the door, it's just like he gave the whole club a new lease of life again. He was so professional. He was disciplined. 
there's one thing that stands out about Paul was just how passionate he was, passionate about the club. You know, we always emphasised on how lucky we were to play for the Albury Football Club. Be proud of that and take pride in it. From a culture perspective, he just made sure that whether you were the last one selected in the reserves or the first one selected in the seniors, he wanted everybody to feel that they were part of the club. He had a huge emphasis on making sure that the whole playing group attended club functions. Bring your wife, your girlfriend and your mum and your dad up into the club rooms and that feeling he brought to the club... You know, we're all one together as a, as a group and we're all playing for the one reason and that still sticks in my mind. Great communicator. You knew where you stood with him and he'd tell you where you were at and where, if you had a bad game, where to improve or if you're going well, don't slacken off. Just He was honest. He was always honest with you. He'd look you in the eye. Yeah. He would tell you a few home truths, but as a group, we're all better for it. And his big emphasis was on team play and let's just get the job done no matter what. He had this knack about instilling belief in one another. He then got that belief in us as a group. We could go anywhere and do anything. The way he instilled that belief in us was the one thing that got us over the line in the end. You know, we had a lot of great players in our side, and but he just kept you well grounded. I think another big thing, Paul did care for his players. He knew how to manage the guys, and there was a few in there that... Needed a bit more looking after than some. <laughs> but um, big thing for me was he did care for us all. And he really instilled everybody a will to win. Competitive nature about him that there's no doubt about it. In his time at Aubrey, he got the best out of all of us. So wouldn't matter which player you talk to, he would. I think everyone would turn around and say, geez, I was lucky to have Paul Spargo as my coach because he got the best out of me. So, yeah, as I said from the start, everybody at the Aubrey Football Club appreciate and say how fortunate we were to have him there during that time frame. He had that presence about him for sure. The 1996 Aubrey Premiership side was from the back line, Brian Kelly, captain, Andrew Harrison, Stephen Clark, halfbacks, Peter Wilson, Jeff Duck, Glenn Page, centreline, Paul Hallandale, Stephen Ash, Stuart Hodson, half forward line, Anthony Fobister, Matthew Fowler, Tim Scott. Forward line, Paul Spargo, Darren Harris, Michael Buchanan. Rucks, Lee Newton, Dale Carroll, Travis McLean. Interchange, Mark Jaray, Jeremy Masterson, Corey Whitaker. Coach, Paul Spargo. Well, there you have it. An epic two-part episode story on one of the Aubrey Tigers' greatest premiership victories. Defying the odds and finding a way to take the flag when all looked lost. Again, a huge thanks to the Joss family for making it all possible. Well, that's it for now. We look forward to you joining us again on Glory Days. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.